have a great Christmas um, because Christmas has so much meaning bound up in it. Um, even if you're not a Christian, you cannot escape what it means because it means so much. Everything that Christmas is about, the whole reason it exists and continues to exist, and there's a marker in our calendars every single year, um, it's because it means something. I'm going to talk about what it means today. As Christians, of course, Christmas is the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. This is uh, the nativity. Yeah, Jesus is the light in the darkness. So uh, we celebrate it around the time that the, the sun starts to rise up again in the sky. Uh, so when it goes from at its lowest, we recently had the shortest day of the year, so it's start getting longer now. Um, so when the sun begins to rise, and we when we go from the lowest, darkest possible place at the beginning of winter, and the sun starts its ascent into the highest, brightest place. Christmas time. In the plan of Jesus, infinite, mighty God of all creation comes down is embodied in Kana in the form of a helpless baby. This is, uh, this is our nativity scene. Nativity just means birth. Um, we've got Jesus here in a manger, a feeding trough. Uh, if you want an example of a newborn baby, we've got, we've got Jonah Abraham here, recently joined the church. Um, you can meet him later on. <laughs> and also in the nativity scene we have the wise, the wise, noble, learned men. The wise men. Uh, knowledgeable in the movements of the stars and the planets. They come from far off, from far in the east and the foreign lands. With gifts of the most expensive stores of value that was around at the time. And they give them to this child. I've got another one. So on one side we've got the, the, the three wise men giving these expensive gifts to this child. And then also we have the poor, uneducated shepherds from just nearby. Lumped with the night shift in the fields. And uh, they're greeted by an angel of the Lord. He tells them about this baby, and they're scared, but he says, the angel goes, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And he's a little baby, wrapped up in blankets in a feeding trough, in a manger. The rich, noble, scholarly, magi, white men, and the poor, overworked, illiterate shepherds all drawn in and brought together by Jesus. God coming down to us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means with us is God. This is a little gingerbread, gingerbread nativity that we made in our um, midweek group. Um, I don't know if this is still the case. We bought it to have the teas and coffees. We've got it, we've got it ready to go. We can eat this later on. <laughs> Yeah, you can eat babies. Oh, okay, it's been flattened out. 
Um, until about 180 AD, there was peace in the Roman Empire. Um, Pax Romana. But it was a peace of a very specific criteria. Uh, in order to receive that peace, you had to be a certain type of person. Pax Romana didn't leave much room for outsiders or dissenters. Pax Romana was about pushing the edges of the empire out. It was about making sure that everything inside the borders submitted to the Roman way of life. It was about keeping the enemies at the borders and marginalising the enemies within. But this peace that the Roman Empire was able to maintain provided stability and protection. And it created the conditions that made tra trade and travel all over the known world um, able to happen. It meant that people could prosper and enjoy comfortable life. And they couldn't have that if the Romans were not there to keep the peace. And this was the peaceful Roman Empire that Jesus and his disciples lived in. Pax Romana. And today we have something similar. They call it the Long Peace. Public intellectuals like Stephen Pinker and Hans Rosman, you might have heard of them before, have told us that we should be optimistic at this time. This is not a time of conflict but a time of peace. Even more peace than there was during the Roman Empire around New Testament times. Why did they say this? Well, look at this. Death in battle since the, uh, since the end of the uh, Second World War have gone down dramatically and continue to drop. There's uh, another graph here. This is from Stephen Pinker's book. Violent deaths, uh, murders have gone down steadily over the centuries. And even as the population of the world gets larger and larger and larger, that's the blue line, the number of people actually living in extreme poverty is continuing to go down. It might seem like violence is getting worse around the world, but remember, we have never been bombarded with so much news media. This is something Hans Rosling says. He says, the image of a dangerous world has never been broadcast more effectively than it is now, while the world has never been less violent and more safe. Stephen Pinker is a Harvard professor. He says, for all the tribulations in our lives, for all the troubles that remain in the world, the decline of violence is an accomplishment that we can savor and an impetus to cherish the forces of civilization and enlightenment that made it possible. The long peace that we're living in right now is a time of unmatched prosperity in the absence of war. Since the Second World War, there has been zero conflict between any of the largest and most prosperous nations, including our own. International war has markedly decreased. Fewer and fewer people are dying as a result of the conflict between nations. And this has been put down to the fact that more people are being enemies. People are getting along much more than they're killing each other and fighting. You can walk down the street without fear of being uh, attacked by bandits. You can go to another country on the other side of the world and know, know that you're going to be safe. No other time in history has it been like this. People are living longer with less disease, 
more wealth, more comfort. And the opportunity to prosper is available to more people than any other time there has been in human history. But this kind of this, this long piece, this Pax Romana, comes at a cost. And the cost is fragility. We know that there is less violence where we live. Than when our ancestors were around, we, we can measure the monumental decline and murders and fighting and wars. We see our institutions enforcing democratically constructed laws. Uh, we see the leaders of the developed world, rather than conquering and invading, they're making deals and negotiations between the nations for, to ensure our protection. And that means we have peace, doesn't it? But we all feel it. It's fragile. We feel like it could fall apart and fracture into it's a sea of fragments at any moment. And we know it can do that. Because Pax Romana broke down. And the Roman Empire itself eventually collapsed. It's all happened before. And they were complacent about Pax Romana then. We can be complacent about the peace that we're living in now. But we can't have a feeling like it won't last. But that's okay. Because we don't worship our institutions. We don't worship our politicians. We don't worship our empire. We don't worship wealth and prosperity. We don't worship our own lives. Christians, the peace we have is different. Christ said it himself in John's Gospel. Uh, yeah. In John's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The very spirit of truth, who the world, who the world can't receive, because it's neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. I leave you with peace. I give you peace. I don't give to you as the world gives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a different kind of peace. Not a fragile peace that the world can understand, but an everlasting peace that surpasses understanding. But to get some insight into what peace means for Christians, and why Jesus is essential for that kind of peace. We need to go back and make sure that we have an understanding of how hope, faith and joy all come together. Because we began the Advent series with Yost talking about hope. Yost reminded us that we can sometimes use Christmas as a way to escape from the real world to escape from the difficult stuff we know is out there and pretend like everything's cosy. We're peaceful. We just have to ignore the people less fortunate than ourselves. And we can put our hope in the wrong things, the surface things, the, the kings that have royal, royal robes and golden chariots that will never really truly bring light to the darkness. Then Aaron spoke about faith. When we make a decision about what we're going to stick to, 
when we nail our colours to the mast. Because this ship will not sink. Our assured hope is <coughs> promised. And that we can have faith that we'll get that thing that we wanted. Get that job promotion, for example. But we must let God shape our desires. Because there's something better than the job promotion. That we can put our faith in. And Brian spoke about joy. And how joy and happiness are different. Yosh said this as well. Christmas isn't just a time to be jolly. It's a time for joy, for rejoicing. But joy is costly. Happiness is cheap. Joy is gained through sacrifice, through challenge, difficulty. The contentment that comes in the midst of a fallen world that needs saving from death. <coughs> Real joy. It's not that easy to find them. And we had Andy last week in the carol service. He spoke about how our leaders and others that we put our faith in and put our trust in, they fall. And also how we get exhausted and worn down by the busyness of the world. How we can look happy on the outside, but privately actually feel really low. How we can get agitated and irritated by the world and constantly be on the edge of the fallout. And that's kind of how it feels in this nation right now. But he also gave gifts to all the kids that came down. Because Christmas is about <coughs> giving gifts. And all of these things come together in Jesus. Because that's what peace means in the Bible. Shalom Shalom peace is about bringing things together, not just the absence of war and conflict, but the presence of unity, completeness, wholeness, where every part gets to fully be who they are, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the parent, the child, the free, the slave, the man, the woman, the Jew, the Gentile, that they are all united as one, without conflict or exploitation or jealousy or division all in perfect alignment, one body. And the head of that body is Jesus Christ. So we all follow his example, we all worship him, because we know that little baby Jesus grows up to become Jesus the man. And the story of Jesus the man follows the same pattern as the story of the nativity. Because as, as well as lowering himself to be with us in life, Jesus Christ, God, lowered himself to be with us in death. The ultimate expression of our downfall, our disintegration, where we are at our lowest, where the body is broken, everything goes dark and we are dead. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God came down to be with us, and to die with us. But not just to die, to rise again, to go from the lowest possible place, to ascend to the highest place. To go from the ultimate expression of brokenness and downfall to the ultimate expression of unity and perfection. Jesus Christ didn't just die. And we 
put our faith in this ultimate truth. He came back to life. It means that no matter how broken and depressed and fallen down and fragmented you or anything has become, it can be brought back to life and brought back together because of Christ. This is an eternal truth that as Christians we must live by. At the end of his preach on hope, Joost encourages us. He said, let's talk to one another and pray for each other so that when the days get shorter and the darkness gets darker, the light of Christ shines more brighter. It is through the community of Christians that Jesus Christ is made known. In his preach on faith, Aaron said this, in the church, nobody is pushed to the edges. <coughs> Unlike with Pax Romana, Jesus Christ draws the edges in and reconciles with the marginalized. In his preach on joy, Brian said this, we love it when everything comes together. Real joy doesn't come from cheap happiness, but from the sacrificial <coughs> everything together. And last week Andy said that Jesus Christ breaks down all the divisions. The divisions inside us, the divisions between us, and ultimately the division between us below and God in the highest. Jesus Christ already survived the worst punishment that the Roman Empire had to offer in crucifixion. He came back from that. He has also survived the persecution of the Roman Empire. His disciples continue to spread the good news of his death and resurrection, in spite of being executed for their faith in him. He has survived even the collapse of the Roman Empire itself. We're still worshipping him now. Long after the fall of Rome. We're still spreading the gospel now by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is here. He is alive in us. And when everything else dies, Jesus Christ still lives. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And he was born as a baby. Born as a human being. The book of Isaiah reads, To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. <clears throat> so, Christians, what, what do we hope for? What do we put our faith in? What brings us to it? It's Jesus Christ. Prince of Peace, the one who comes down from on high to meet us in our dark days and bring us back up to the light. The one who gives up his position. And instead of being the one that everyone looks up to, he comes down as a helpless baby in a dirty feeding trough. He comes to give us an expensive, valuable gift. He gives us his love. This is what Christmas means. 
It is the coming together of all things into perfect alignment. How? By sacrificially giving gifts. And we don't just give to the people that have the means. We give to those beloved, those who are low down, those who are at the bottom, so that they can rise up. So at Christmas, instead of always looking up and wondering why you're not getting gifts from above, maybe you feel like there's someone up there that should be giving you something. You've already been given the best gift you could ever get from above. Or maybe you feel pretty complacent about what you're already lucky enough to have. We don't build our lives on that stuff. We build our lives on the foundation of Christ. So let's follow the example of Christ this Christmas. Try looking down and seeing what gifts he gave <coughs> to those who are less fortunate than you. Not because they deserve it, but simply because they are loved. Because that's how everything comes together. That's how we bring about peace. And Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the for they will be called children of God. Father God, thank you for making us your adopted answer. We are your children because you love us, not because we deserve it. You give us good gifts. Thank you that because of this, we get to live in a time of prosperity and the absence of our conflict. Thank you that when we put our faith in you, we get to experience the joy of things coming together because of your peace and the hope we have in you. Thank you for sending your son to be with us and for your Holy Spirit who reminds us of everything he has <coughs> And as the days get longer and the new year begins, when we get the chance to rise again, help us to do your work by the power of your spirit, following the example of Christ. Help us to remember those who are there and raise them up, just as you raised us up and we were loved. Help us to be peacemakers.